here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know the hip hop chorus. Yeah, I was just ready to ready to get it. Well, yeah, well, no, welcome. Welcome, Maya. Welcome to the coolest show. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Maya Penn is a 21-year-old award-winning founder and CEO of the eco-fashion brand Maya's Ideas. She's an environmental activist, animator, artist, sustainability consultant, and three-time TED speaker, artist, and author. So she is perfect for the coolest show. She has received a commendation from President Barack Obama for outstanding achievement in environmental stewardship. I get her updated with President Joe Biden pretty soon. Maya was awarded mm-hmm. the 2016 Coretta Scott King uh, Angel Award, as well as honored at the SCLC Drum Major for Justice Awards. She has been chosen by Ofa Winfrey as her youngest Super Soul 100 entrepreneur change maker, and thought leader. She has been one of the youngest leaders in the sustainability and environmental justice movement for 13 years, starting at the age of just eight years old. My dear sister, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored to be on the show. I really appreciate it. So for folks who might not know more than your bio, outside the bio, all the all of that good stuff. Please tell us who is Maya Penn? So I am someone who, you know, did kind of grow up in a sort of like what you would call an eco-conscious household, you know, and like I'm someone who my parents have always, you know, really, you know, instilled that in me and instilled that eco-consciousness in me, some of like, you know, my earliest memories are of me and my mom, you know, getting clothes from the thrift store mm. and playing a, you know, organic garden in our backyard and, you know, just kind of different things and, you know, always knowing to recycle, conserve energy, conserve water, you know, like all of those kind of things is stuff that was very normal to me. And I think that awareness was also fueled just by my love for the natural world in general. Like I was that really nerdy kid who was telling people like facts about, you know, the polar, like the ice caps or endangered species of animals. Cause that's just kind of the, the kind of kid that I was. I really love environmental science and natural world and also art and using creative medium to educate other people, empower other people, inspire other people around the things that I was really passionate about mm-hmm. or underserved issues in the world. And so that's basically why I started my journey at eight years old, doing all the things that you just mentioned in my bio. Yeah. Well, you're old head now. <laughs> You've been around for a minute now. <laughs> um, where, where are you originally from? What do you call home? So. Yeah, so I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Okay, ATL. Shout out to all those down yeah. there. You, you know that's uh, become uh, hip hop capital number two. 
for them, they would say, Rev, hip hop came number one. It'd be a fierce debate going on by that one statement. <laughs> and they would they would be <laughs> like, no longer is it New York or LA. It is all day, every day, Atlanta. So how is it? And Atlanta also is home for the civil rights movement, you know, many of yes. the so you you're there. I guess that has a huge impact on how you viewed, you know, what you're doing now as well. Yeah, I was honestly about to to speak to that because I know that we're gonna and I guess I'll just answer this kind of ahead of time, you know, around people who have been like real like mentors and inspirations for me mm-hmm. growing up in Georgia, in Atlanta. Absolutely, as you just said, a big like heart of the civil rights movement is here. And I've had the amazing opportunity to meet and to learn from just giants in the civil rights movement, like, you know, uh, uh, Congressman John Lewis, uh, Representative John Lewis, and also Bernice A. King, who was the the daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, even Evelyn Lowry, Joseph Lowry, and as you mentioned earlier, receiving the Coretta Scott King Angel Award from Bernice King. And, you know, just getting that insight, that advice from people who have paved the way for me and have paved the way for my voice to be heard as an activist in, you know, who have really, like I said, have opened so many doors and roads for so many young activists of my generation and they, I stand on their shoulders. And so that is something that absolutely has influenced me growing up from a very young age. And that has continued to inspire the work that I do because people don't really know many of the activists within civil rights were also activists within environmentalism. If you look at Joseph Lowry, Mm-hmm. You know, he was leading environmental justice and environmental racism uh, protests, you know, and, and I mean, people don't look at that history. People don't look at the involvement of black, brown, indigenous people for decades and, and centuries, even within sustainable living, within environmental activism. But it's also interconnected. That's something that we've always known. It's, it's interconnected with racial justice, among so many other topics. Well, thanks for bringing them up. I mean, obviously, I am an admirer of everyone you named, and actually close with some of them. Um, Sister Bernice um, is definitely someone who I admire, and and just check if and if you don't know Bernice King, not, not only is the daughter of of MLK, but she's got a great Twitter feed. <laughs> it's just that folks who ever want to yeah. check out on social media, she be putting it down. She don't she don't hold nothing back, and uh, but she's amazing. Um, obviously, you mentioned uh, Reverend Lowry and, and his wife, but you also mentioned the importance, also in John Lewis as well. Uh, mm-hmm. May he yeah. rest in power, one of our great beacons in the movement. And you mentioned how all of them, and I mean all of them, are concerned with the environment. And they, this is not new. They're not, this is something that just didn't come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the past four or five or 20 years. This is since from the beginnings of literally the EJ movement. And in many cases, yeah. the modern day environmental movement, folks like Reverend Lowry, Sister Lowry, um, Walter Frontroy. I mean, I can go on the list, John Lewis, I can go on and on and on. 
And I guess my question to you is that why don't you think more people know that? I think that honestly, you know, there there has been a really big, you know, kind of whitewashing within the environmental movement, within the sustainability movement, which is, you know, really dangerous, honestly, mm-hmm. you know, because of how, you know, black people, you know, people of color, indigenous people, I mean, are the most adversely impacted by environmental issues, by climate change, air pollution, water pollution, you name it. And, you know, environmental racism, environmental justice is one of the clearest examples of that. You know, most people would probably think of like Flint, Michigan, for example. And that is just, you know, honestly, really scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that it's, it's kind of, it's very intentional in a lot of ways. Because I think that when people really start to peel back the layers of environmental issues and you start to see that, oh, wait, you know, there's systemic racism that's at the root of a lot of this, too. You know, there's like a lot of, you know, super like uh, colonial and like, you know, kind of capitalist ideals behind a lot of this. People don't really want to see that, you know, people People don't really want to like reflect that in the mainstream, mm-hmm. but I'm really, I'm really, really hoping that this, you know, more, this bigger push for, you know, not just that diversity within the movement, but like, like outward facing diversity within the movement, that representation of, you know, different voices within the environmental movement. I hope that this is something that is going to be, you know, really shared on a mainstream level on a large scale because it is really, really crucial. You know, I, I think it's something that we have to look at. Even if even even if you start to look at issues like, for example, climate migration, which is something that is very real and happening right now. You know, people debate, oh, is climate change real? I mean, tell that to people in Guatemala who are having to, you know, like leave their homes because they're mm-hmm. going through severe droughts and they can't grow any crops. People in Bangladesh who like significant amounts of Bangladesh is underwater right now. Um, yeah, I mean, like that—that's the thing. This is mostly going to be like you know, black, brown, indigenous people, people in the global south, and also black, brown, indigenous communities in the global north who are going to be the most adversely affected by these issues. So we have to have this focus, you know, or else people are going to be left behind. And I, I really want to, you know, keep speaking to the importance of that, no matter how it makes. Uh, people feel. Yeah, well, please keep please keep speaking truth to power, and please keep speaking truth. Period, because that's the only way that we can solve the crisis. Uh, I, I will tell you, we can solve a crisis through falsehoods, <laughs> and so we got to solve a crisis only through the truth. Even when that truth hurts, we got to solve. We got to speak that truth. Um, you bring up a lot there. You know, at the Hip Hop Caucus. We talk about this a lot, actually. We, we have these conversations because, you know, when we came into this, we kind of came in through um, really as an organization post-Hurricane Katrina. I'm originally from Louisiana. So that was just some piece that we're able to connect. And then even beyond that, um, we've been trying to use how, how can we use culture um, because we see our communities, particularly black, brown, and indigenous communities, the suffering uh, first and worst. Mm-hmm. Um, not only from um, the crisis, 
uh, of climate change, but also from pollution. Um, you mentioned for lead yeah. poisoning and petrochemical uh, companies. Also, other issues mm-hmm. regarding poverty, police brutality. And so we, we, we've been trying to connect those dots. And one of the things that we, we, we said was that it's interesting that the modern-day environmental movement, kind of basing it from the, the history of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, we, 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 we've said that, you know, imagine if, for instance, the um, breast cancer survivor movement, and if you look at that today, and it was just pretty much all white men um, who was doing that, and you were like, well, what about the people who actually are, I mean, who are impacted? You know, what, what, what about them? And I said, no, it's, you know, we're going, it, that's, that, they're not as important as this, this, you know, uh, we've been talking about this for years. And that's how crazy it seems. Because it's like, wow, if people of color yeah. are first and worst impacted, um, but you don't see them or hear about them, then something is wrong. Um, so we got to fix that. That's why I'm so glad to have you here with us on The Coolest Show. What's your analysis Absolutely. of the climate crisis, capitalism, and their intersections? I mean, I think that there is an undoubtable, you know, like this kind of insatiable greed, especially, well, I'm not going to be like especially in our our country because it's something that can be found across the world, but, you know, especially here in the U.S., there has really been a super blatant disregard by a lot of major industries when it comes to the, you know, the extraction of natural resources, the output of waste, of pollution. And I think that it's something that definitely you have no choice but to address it. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason why I'm someone who wants to really make a push within those industries and hold like really like large industry leaders like and companies accountable for their actions, because this isn't just up to people who are, you know, living sustainably, like individuals. This isn't just up to quote-unquote consumers or just up to environmental activists or, you know, or, or any, like, it's not just up to those people. It's also up to, you know, the major polluters who are, you know, really just not putting any kind of limitations on their greed. Mm. And so I think that it's something that, obviously has to be addressed and needs to be addressed on a legal level in some way. Of course, that's very vague when I say in some way, but really being able to hold these companies accountable through legislation or any kind of means that, that, that you're going to have to regulate a company at a certain level. When they start making like a certain amount of inventory or a certain uh, number a certain amount of money, you know, like somebody has to step in. A third party is going to have to step in and really help to mitigate any impact that will continue to destroy the planet. Like, just like there's no other way to phrase that other than to do that people are like literally destroying the, the planet for profit. And I know people are trying to figure out a, you know, a backup plan of, you know, oh, we'll just go to Mars. Like, I'm going to, this is something I think about a lot. I'm going to be very transparent. First of all, we can be putting a lot of that money into, you know, helping our mother earth. 
Facts. Second of all, you you second of all, I mean, let's be real, as a black person, I do not feel confident that all of us are gonna get to Mars. You know there's gonna be some like BS <laughs> anyway, like and you, like people who are excited <laughs> people who are excited about that, it's like there's gonna be something it's always gonna be something. Like when we <laughs> You know, if we, if we haven't learned anything else in the community, there's always something, you know, like, I, first of all, I'm, I'm just too dedicated to the survival of our planet, of Earth. But also, I mean, just, you know, I just I really don't see how that could be really a, an equitable solution, to be completely honest. Well, that's that. No, everything you said is real. And it actually is very scary because that actually kind of goes into this lens of really this crisis that we're talking about, that there will be those who will find them way, find ways to find not only other higher ground, as they would say, but literally other planets. Like they literally are trying to find other planets to colonize, um, to, to just keep moving. And, you know, that's one of the things about this whole issue is that, as I mentioned before, I'm from Louisiana and, you know, a lot of friends went through a lot of family went through Hurricane Katrina. And it was devastating to see that. It was so, so hurtful to see particularly yeah. black people and poor black people left behind in the richest country in the world. And to just feel so, man, like you can't do anything. And so I, I know for a fact that a lot of folks, you know, rolled out. You know, and this ain't just white folk either. We keep keeping one hundred. It was black folk who rolled out too, right? <laughs> who was it was it was a whole lot of folk that rolled out and left folk behind, and that's really the that's the crisis yeah. too as well, right? And I think that so you're right that we have to be very very cautious of that. You know, as you as you think about yeah. that though, as you as you are obviously thinking about these things with the climate crisis and capitalisms and how these things intersect. Um, how did that shape? Because you're also an, an amazing entrepreneur. So how did that shape your work in regards to how you approach this work? Um, how you approach mm-hmm. it from as a woman who's entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur this period, as a black entrepreneur? Um, how does all this kind of shape your work and how does your work then impact the African diaspora or this African African American community in general? I think that, well, first of all, it shapes my work as an entrepreneur immensely. I'm someone who has honestly felt completely out of place in the business world forever. Essentially, of course, there's multiple reasons for that. Of course, being, you know, so young, being black and being a young black woman, like all of those layers obviously made me, you know, you know, feel like just like I, you know, stood out. But also because I've always been so mission driven, so, you know, conscious of, you know, the impact that I have, I've made a lot of decisions and, you know, and that have been very non-traditional for a lot of entrepreneurs. And I've really had to redefine, I think, what it is to, well, what it is to be an entrepreneur and help other people redefine that for themselves and kind of be very like heart centered in all of it. Like, for example, I'm someone who has never wanted to just scale just because, you know, like, and just start mass producing items. 
because it goes against the entire point of what I'm trying to do. Like I'm using recycled materials. I'm using vintage materials to create my designs. I'm using, you know, pieces that already exist or that are biodegradable, but I'm not going to be making tons and tons of inventory just because that's what you're quote unquote supposed to do to grow and become a successful, again, quote unquote, successful business. So I focus less in making excess inventory and more in just how can I continue to, you know, grow my base around the world. And, you know, I have my items that are sold, you know, like I said, around the world to Australia, Japan, you know, Denmark, Canada, like you name it. But a lot of my pieces are a few of a kind, sometimes even one of a kind, Hmm. because I'm not focused on just trying to make as much inventory as possible. And so, you know, like, like I said, because I've been very focused in sustainability and, you know, really focused also on the art of it too, the art of, you know, fashion design. Like I'm someone who is, you know, like I, I'm not a fashion industry person. I'm just not about the fashion industry life. <laughs> you know, I'm an artist and, you know, someone who is, you know, very nature focused first, you know, I really like focused on biomimetic design and just all things that just really that I'm genuinely passionate about and like I've always said that mother nature is my favorite designer so Mm. you know like so you know like all all of those things and just the way that I've you know scaled in a different way have really you know made me stand out but I think that people are really focused on how they can be more focused on their mission within a company instead of just making choices that you know well, because that's the standard way of, you know, growing a successful business. It still doesn't mean align exactly with your values or the, the original vision that you had. And then also to answer your question about how my work impacts the African diaspora. So I do have a nonprofit organization as well called Maya's Ideas for the Planet, which is very kind of humanitarian and environmental justice focused. And one ongoing project that I essentially transferred my sustainable product design skills to was creating eco-friendly sanitary pads for, you know, those in need. And so those have been, you know, shipped to, uh, you know, healthcare facilities, not only here, but also in Haiti, Senegal, Somalia, Cameroon, uh, et cetera. So, you know, that's something that's always been important to me. And I'm also on the board of a, nonprofit organization called The Revival, which is based out of Accra, Ghana. Mm. And they are really focused on the kind of secondhand clothing uh, industry of secondhand clothing market within um, Cantamanto, where there is so much waste of from secondhand clothing that comes from uh, like the, Europe, the U.S., et cetera. And it's basically impacting the Ghanaian textile industry, Ghanaian artisans, obviously the environment there as well. And so the focus is really in minimizing that waste, really helping Ghanaian artisans to create new pieces from some of this waste as well. And so, yeah, that's something that's always been a a focus for me and for the work that I do. And, you know, really, uh, collaborating and, you know, really lifting up, 
you know, as many voices across the diaspora as possible. I love it. I love it. You know, I, I, I'm very yeah. interested in your fashion, how you actually say um, uh, you're not, you know, not really trying to, some, some parts of the fashion work and industry is, is, you know, is not, you know, you're not connected to that. You are an artist and mother nature is your inspiration. Um, I, I love all of that. And as you can imagine for me, part of my work is being even was political. I was always around the fashion with as well. And, you know, one of the funny things is when I first was working at the hip hop summit action network, um, around the time you were born here, Ms. Maya. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and one of the things in that aspect is that when I was there working, um, it, all of this was really new, you know, in regards to hip hop politics. And so what they mm. did, um, they really had much space. So they kind of gave me a closet. It was in, it was in the baby fat section of the fashion. Uh, office in mm. New York, and they gave me a closet. Literally, gave me a closet <laughs> to wow. work out of. It was cool though, because I got I got I got to see how the whole fashion. It was just crazy to see, and it's and you're right. Right, it's, right. It's it's not it's it's definitely making the sausage right. It, it ain't it ain't so glamorous. It's cool. It's super cool, but it's 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 a unique whole kind of thing. And then when I worked with Diddy um, over at over at Bad Boy, we were doing Citizen Change. Um, it was crazy because the same situation. Um, I guess I guess I had a little bit more leverage. I, I didn't quite have an office in the closet, but <laughs> but over over at Bad Boy, um, we were able to really discuss and how he was using uh, with the Buddha Dot T-shirts. You know, he was literally mm-hmm. using that model as a way to get folks politically engaged. But the one thing that yeah. I've seen in that that connects to what you're saying is just how these how the artist's eye and the skills connect to the movement. So I guess actually that question, how does your artist's eye and skills contribute to the building of the movement? I think that it's, there's a huge contribution because, you know, I, I guess my foundation as an artist is a storyteller first hmm. and being able to know how to effectively communicate how to really engage people and engage people's hearts and minds. That's something that is really critical to pretty much any movement where you're trying to get more people involved. You're trying to get more people uh, either passionate about it, excited about it, or just engaged. And so just on that level, you know, my, the work that I do as a storyteller, like when I'm writing for example, because you know I'm an animator. When I'm if I'm writing a script for a piece that I'm about to animate, I'm you know working some of the same muscles as when I'm writing a speech or when I'm writing uh, an article or like whatever it is that I'm doing around like sustainability. Like that's taking some of the same you know kind of muscles because you're trying to figure out how to really get people to care and how to really get people involved and engaged and know that you know, they, that it, the, how it personally connects to them. But then on top of that, art has been the driver of everything that I do, you know, really, truly speaking. So, you know, if you look at the sustainable fashion and, you know, 
again, I started at a time when sustainable fashion was nowhere near a mainstream topic. Mm. Um, you know, in 2008, people were not thinking about the environmental impacts of the fashion industry. And whenever you would bring a plan like, oh, eco-friendly fashion, you know, people would think you were talking about like burlap potato sacks or something. <laughs> like people just didn't even know what that looked like. They like, and so my mission was like to spread awareness, you know, about the importance of sustainable fashion and show how it can be done. You know, show how something can still be aesthetically pleasing while also being, uh, you know, made in a way where you're thinking in an environmentally conscious way. So it's like. You know, that's something that was important because also, you know, looking to my animation, the work that I'm doing with that, and I have my own animation production company, actually, uh, and I'm really focused in job creation for Black, Brown, Indigenous people in the animation industry because there is a huge lack of, you know, of, of people, like, not only just on screen, but off screen, like behind the scenes that are, you know, able to you know, tell their stories or, you know, even just have their talent shown to the world. Um, you know, and also like utilizing the medium of animation to break down really, you know, difficult, multi-layered topics. Like for me, I think my biggest passion in a lot of this that I've discovered is accessibility to information. And when people talk about accessibility information, you know, people think of, oh, like, well, you can Google it and you can find a a Wikipedia article and it's there, that's only half of the battle. The other half is like demystifying some of these really mm -hmm. big topics, these really multi-layered topics. And, you know, that's something that is super crucial because people need to understand the power that they have as individuals to know that they have a place in this movement as well, that everyone's voice needs to be heard. And sometimes you need that extra step of like, hey, here's how you can get involved in this and just really personalizing these really big issues because topics like this, especially if you go into areas like politics, like they're confusing on purpose. Like they're, they're purposefully mm -hmm. yep. confusing to, for people, you know? Like, so that's, that's something that I've always really been passionate about. So whether that is through like a animated, you know, movie that I'm making. I'm actually in the the uh, the fundraising pre-production stage for a short film I'm working on that is kind of environmentally focused. But also, you know, whether it's through animation or it's through fashion, you know, really being able to connect with people on a level that is, you know, not intimidating, that is humanized, and, and it's not, you know, what I mean, it's not just this big intangible you know, issue that's affecting everybody in, in so many various ways, you can't even wrap your head around it. I think that's something that's always been really crucial to my work. And that's how I utilize art to combat all of that. No, that's, that's, that's exciting. And we have to talk. I mean, we're, we're talking now, but, uh, and I, and we put it all out there here on the coolest show. So when I say we have to talk is that we're doing some things that line up to what you're doing so we may at the hip-hop caucus we had to really talk we actually are working yeah. on on um, a film a documentary that is actually being executive produced by dream hampton who did surviving r kelly and we have a yeah. whole part of that is called underwater projects coming out hopefully 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 uh coming out next year be done but it's a we have a whole animation part that we we've done with that um, mm. in regards to telling the story of 
uh, the climate crisis, specifically in the Hampton Roads region. And we actually had the amazing uh, Wanda Sykes, the comedian, uh, as the voiceover, oh, wow. yeah, for that animation. So we're doing a lot of that projects. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we gotta, we gotta build on that. We gotta, we, we gotta, we gotta hook up. So I'm sorry, y'all who are listening. Y'all just went to our our slight business meeting right there. But uh, we, we yeah. <laughs> no, listen, listen for, for sure. Like, let's you know connect after this because you know my production company. We have worked with Hulu, GoDaddy, Adobe. You know, like, like we, we do exactly what you're talking about, you know, and really kind of focusing in on, um, you know, having these independent artists, you know, work with other companies and collaborate to create media that is environmentally or socially focused. So, yeah, we're done. Well, that's done. Well, actually, I have a question because I want to ask this one of those basic questions. I think we, you talk about this a lot. And I think for the audience listening, I want to make sure they understand what your definition is. So what is um, uh, eco-friendly fashion or eco-fashion? So eco-friendly fashion is, you know, really looking at, for me, the full life cycle of a piece of clothing. And like, you know, I know for some people listening, that probably just blew their minds right there. Like the way that we talk about clothing in the mainstream media you know, you know, the average person doesn't think about clothing having a life cycle. <laughs> you know, the average person doesn't think about the before, like the garment is made, like where those raw materials are sourced or after the garment is created and worn, where it's going to end up afterwards. So I, like I say, it's about thinking about the full life cycle of a piece of clothing and figuring out how you want to make that more sustainable. And so whether that is creating something from raw materials that are organic, that are biodegradable, you know, like, like organic materials like um, hemp or cotton or, like, or, you know, like whatever that might be, linen, or if you want to use recycled materials, like something that already exists that's, you know, probably going to end up in the landfill anyway, and you want to, mm-hmm. you know, extend the life cycle of that material, like that's something that I really love to do turning that into something new. And then again, thinking about what's going to happen after it's out of the hands of the consumer, you know, more companies that are like, you know, larger companies are having like take back programs where people can send in the clothing and it doesn't matter like what piece of clothing it is and that can be recycled into something else. I mean, there's, there's so much, you know, that's really emerging, but, you know, figuring out like, and also how you minimize waste and, just figuring out also how to extend the life cycle on your own, like kind of consumer end. And so, you know, I'm talking to people also about, you know, not only shopping sustainably, but if you get a, a tear, you know, in a piece of clothing, you know, figure out how to mend or repair that, you know, mm. really easily or, you know, spot washing a piece of clothing or, you know, washing with cold water instead of hot water, you know, in the washing machine, just, just all kind of stuff that can really mitigate the impact on either the producer or the consumer end. That's, that's in a, in a nutshell. And the thing is, it's not a simple question, really. You know, like, of course, it's, it's kind of simple for the average person who is already in that space. But it's still a pretty big, pretty multi-layered topic. So, you know, I'm always 
glad to kind of break down the definition yeah. a little bit. No, that was good. And 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 so that I, so I, I asked this question about, you know, how do we how do we make it even mainstream? But I want to talk about culture, right? Uh in that. So um I actually was out there um in LA and uh I took with me uh an artist friend out there to the Patagonia store out there in LA. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, yo, you know, he was and he was, you know, going to buy stuff and he loved it with some, you know, obviously it was something that was made out of bamboo and it was some great stuff. And he was like, but obviously it's it's a little pricey. It's a little it, it ain't cheap. Some, you know, it's, it's a little pricey. And so he was he wasn't buying nothing. And it wasn't like he couldn't afford. I like, well, right. know, what's, what's, what's wrong? He's like, man, if I must spend a hundred dollars for a shirt. I need Patagonia to be in big letters. <laughs> I need people to know got I got a Patagonia shirt. I don't need a little, I don't need them to be looking at the back of my neck. I need them to see, like my, my polo. I need them to see this is a Patagonia. And, you know, Patagonia is like, you know, they they be hiding it, you know, and whatever, you can't see where it's Patagonia. So that's a whole cultural thing. So how yeah. do we how do we overcome those things where our community is like, yo, I'm down with this because it looks good, is 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 hype, is sexy, is it looks looks sleek, but I need folks to know know what I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that you know, luxury culture is something that you know I think people need to start kind of swapping out a little bit for like the kind mm. of sustainable fashion culture, because, you know, when you really break that down even more, you know, you, you have to figure out like, and, and I mean, this is going to start kind of getting deep, but especially when you are looking kind of to the black community, I do like, if, if it's a non, you know, sustainable brand, I mean, like at least find a black owned brand, at least mm. like, you know, Facts. at least do something because, Yes. Because, you know, if you're just, if you're just wearing, uh, you know, like a, if you're carrying a luxury purse and then you make that like, first of all, you know, people make that the epitome of success. And it's like, who set that standard? That wasn't us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that we have to wear this, this branded like purse or pair of shoes to be quote unquote successful. That's not something that was, you know, that was something that was kind of fed to us a little bit, just being honest, you mm-hmm. know, because. I think that um, something that I think about a lot is how, you know, sometimes the black luxury movement, it isn't just about having material things. It's more about, you know, having pr- the protections in place for our community, being able to, you know, rid our communities of environmental racism and, you know, all of the, the health issues, you know, that we're experiencing, which is why COVID has impacted us so um, exponentially. You know, and like that's that like being able, you know, like you have a, you know, black mother who goes to a hospital and, you know, she's, you know, she's treated fairly in the hospital and she's, you know, able to go through her, her pregnancy without any issues. I mean, that within itself is a luxury, you know, and like if you, I think we have to kind of just as a human race, honestly, redefine what luxury is. And so for me, and this is just me, you know, and everybody is completely different. It is more luxurious to me to wear a piece of clothing that I know wasn't made by slave labor or that, you know, has a, you know, minimal water consumption or like, like the dye is not going off into, you know, a waterway somewhere (laughs) like, you know, like that, that's honestly 
to me, more of an idea of luxury than anything or like the business, like I said, it's black owned or is indigenous owned. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, that your purchase is, you know, not only you're wearing something like you have a piece of clothing that looks cool, but you're also, you know, helping to really speak with your dollars and contribute to a better future. You know, I think that we have to just really, truly start redefining what some of these words mean to us as a society, you know, especially since we're all, we are advocating for the, you know, the equal treatment of, you know, of our communities amongst others and for us to be able to live safe, healthy lives. I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's awesome to be able to wear something that's sustainably made. I think that that's something, especially when you start looking at the designers that do focus more on limited run, one of a kind like, kind of items, like you're not going to be able to find some of the same stuff. I mean, there are people that are making leather out of mushrooms. That mm. is the coolest stuff ever to me, personally. I mean, I'm a nerd, so you can take that with a grain of salt. But I mean, I'm just saying, you can do with a go with the same old, same old, or you can like, you know, kind of head into the future a little bit. With the way some of the like the way people are really like it's an exciting time to be in sustainable fashion right now. I don't know, like no, it's, said, it's definitely a wave. <laughs> you said a lot. No, you said a lot. Then let's actually unpack a lot of that. Let's just say off the top, so folks are clear that you know, um, one, um, just investing in companies who probably don't even like you um, and win their yes, brand. That's the thing. <laughs> Um, is not is not the way to go. So, and for someone, for both of us who have both been around or in the fashion world, we can tell you up front, there are a lot of folks who you think you're wearing their name on your chest and they they don't care nothing about you. So that's, that's the first thing. So we do need to unpack that. And I think there is a lot of work that's been going into that. Um, so I think yeah, that's... And, and that's I mean, that, yeah. that even goes back to like tokenism and like like everything. Like don't don't willingly fall into that, you know. Yeah. That's that so that's a that's check the box there. The other box though, I think what you're hitting on which is also very important, is about ownership. Because the one thing I will tell you that on the flip side of that is that I never forget, you know, I do a lot of organizing and mobilizing around the climate crisis and that's kind of my stick, get out there in the streets and cause some, raise some hell so we can get some change going on. And I was invited um, to the Tesla uh, factory. And when I went out there, um, you know, it was, everybody was white. I mean, I even, I even put the work in the front desk was no, no, nobody. And I was like, damn, you got to work hard to be, find all people white in San Francisco. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. so on the flip side of that, is that we're not trying to shift from one bit of oppression to another type of oppression in which we're not benefiting or, you know, owning that. And you have kind of cracked that nut in which you are, um, you are, you're, you're an owner, you're an entrepreneur. So how mm -hmm. can we make sure our community are the owners and not just consumers? I think that it is, about just that it's really, first of all, we need to continue to call out 
the VCs, the like, you know, like whoever, you know, who is, is doing the funding, whether that be, like I said, VCs, angel investors, so on and so forth, because, you know, that there are so many, there have been so many studies done around uh, how black entrepreneurs are underfunded, also, especially black women who are like the, the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, despite being so, so extremely underfunded. It, it really makes no sense but you understand why, you know, that that's a whole conversation for a, another day around systemic racism. But mm. I think that it's really important for people to not lose sight of that goal of ownership. Like you said, there are a number of black owned sustainable companies, but that is in fashion, beauty, food. I mean, really, you name it. I think that we have to kind of keep this focus up in sustainability. And, you know, like a lot of the, I think the focus within, you know, kind of entrepreneurship has been around tech. And, you know, there's green tech, there's clean tech too. Like there's a lot of areas where these two worlds overlap. So I'm not saying that that doesn't count. But we also need to make sure we do not lose our footing within sustainability because, you know, there are going to be so many brands that are going to become the leaders um, the decision makers in certain sectors of sustainable living. And we need to make sure that, you know, our communities are catered to, you know, and I think that that's something that we have to continue to really push for and to keep making sure that we're having our voice heard, that we're getting our sustainable businesses, you know, funded and, you know, continue to, you know, support that because, it's it's necessary, you know, it's something that is really, really necessary as we start breaking down all of these various issues where you talk about sustainable fashion, you talk about plant-based eating, or you're talking about like outdoor and green spaces. I mean, we need to be decision makers within these industries because especially as we're trying to shift to make these these ways of sustainable living more accessible to our communities, it need to make sure that it's still done right and done in a way that is really making the most positive impact. So, like I said, I think that if there's somebody who's listening, who's like, you know, trying to figure out where, you know, they're trying to start in their own entrepreneurial journey, like, you know, I would suggest that you do look into sustainability because every industry has looked at sustainability now. You know, this isn't a niche or like it's not a, a tiny like cons- pocket of consumers like this is a, this is something that has touched literally all industries i've had so many different companies from so many different industries i never even considered you know doing any kind of consultation and reaching out there like hey you know we had this whole like market of people who want you know us to to do better within sustainability and we were trying to figure out how to do that and so instead of just only, you know, working with those brands, we also have to build our own brands as well that are, you know, real leaders within the space. No, uh, that's real. Well, I just got a couple more questions for you, and it kind of really relates to your your crew, uh, folks who are in your in your in your in your age group. Kind of just want to give them some insight here. Um, you know, Gen Z is really shredding the whole nine to five life um, 
style and aspect, and they're starting their own businesses and they're working for themselves. Um, obviously, you've mentioned why you work for yourself and you've mentioned the impact of your entrepreneurship. Um, but what other advice would you give to them who are who who really want to do that? Want to want to you know, kind of you know, they're either like you, <laughs> literally eight, nine, ten, or they're where you are now in eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, or a little older. Um, you know, what what advice would you give to them? And also, you know, your ideas are reaching people all over the world through your book. Um, and so I guess what blueprint are you providing? So I think the big piece of advice that I would give, because, you know, I, I think that most young people kind of have an, a gist of, you know, I have this idea and I just need to figure out how to start it. A few things that I want to always lay out, which I think are kind of overlooked, is one, to not put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Um, and I mean, I'm somebody who is just multi-hyphenate by default. Like I'm someone who has so many different passions anyway. So, you know, if you look at animation, uh, sustainability consultation, sustainable fashion, and like my nonprofit, like I have all of these different sectors that are all really kind of like working together in a sense and are all have the same the same goal of, you know, sustainability, social impact, and creative spaces as well. I think that it's important for people to know that all those, all of those things will play off of each other as long as, you know, you get things completed. Like, you're not just starting things and never finishing them. But as long as you are, you know, not kind of relying on, you know, this one business idea to take off. And, you know, like, you, you have to have something else kind of going in the background in order to sustain those moments when there might be kind of a lull in or a dry spell, you know, so to speak, um, because that's something that a lot of people don't expect and then it just sneaks up on them and they're like, Oh no, what happened? Um, and you know, also you have to be adaptable because things will happen in ways that you don't really expect mm. because I'm someone who, when I started my company at eight years old, I absolutely never envisioned giving three Ted talks, writing a book, like, you know, all, all of the stuff that, you know, is a part of my body of work, you know, that's something that I, you know, you'd have to kind of go with the flow and, and start to lean into that. And, you know, I became a public speaker and I became a consultant. And these are skills that I just naturally leaned into because people started coming to me and were like, hey, can you do this? And it doesn't, it doesn't matter that this is something that you hadn't considered. Go ahead and just try to pursue it and see where that takes you. And even just within your own business itself, like I said, just be adaptable and really know any kind of opportunities or, you know, unique ways that you can reach your goals and just be really aware and keep your eye open for those. Because I think that there is no like perfect or like traditional path to successful entrepreneurship anymore. I think that's kind of gone. You know, we're in a stage of evolution within the, the business world so much. And not only just the this just across literally any industry, every industry is in some sort of an evolution right now. We have to take advantage of any kind of interesting or like non-traditional uh, opportunities that kind of help 
uh, level the playing field as much as possible. So be adaptable and, you know, don't be afraid to pursue multiple sectors of your work and see how they can kind of all, you know, work together in some way. And, you know, when I'm kind of laying down, like, as you mentioned, like in my book, you know, it's being used as curriculum in, in schools, I'm really also focusing on that kind of personal development as well, because, you know, of, of course, it's one thing to just be, to be building a business or to build a, a nonprofit or like whatever it is that you're pursuing, but you also have to make sure to take care of yourself, to check in with yourself, to know what it is that you need, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever that is for you, because that shows up in your work. Mm. You know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And you also have to remember in spaces like sustainability or, you know, any kind of environmental or social good driven spaces, you know, that, that those kind of areas can be very draining because you're kind of constantly in, in some ways kind of re-traumatizing yourself when it comes to the climate crisis and environmental racism and, and you know, all of these things that are, are really, really, you know, kind of stressful and make you worried about the world. Like there's a, there's a whole term out now called eco-anxiety, climate anxiety. I'm definitely someone who has climate anxiety, you know, even though I'm still a solutions-based activist, I'm still, you know, an optimist. It's like you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself in all of this. So those those are like my biggest pieces of advice and, you know, some of the things that I touch on as well in the book. How can folks support your work? So anyone who wants to support my work can go to, well, first of all, you can, you know, find me pretty much anywhere on social media at Maya's Ideas, which is just, M-A-Y-A-S, ideas, that's my username everywhere, or just Maya Penn. And that's, you know, where I'm giving kind of all of my updates on the projects I'm working on. But as far as my website, mayasideas.com is just my fashion line and literally everything else. You can learn about my nonprofit work there, uh, about my animation production company, Dupendo, like there's links to that on there. You know, and, you know, that's basically it's social media and my website, myreviews.com. So that's in a nutshell how you can find out what I'm working on. And, you know, you can support my work through either supporting my sustainable fashion line, nonprofit. Um, and I do so many different areas, you know, even within my production company or with my book or speaking. So there's a lot of ways that you can reach out and get involved with the work that, I'm doing and, you know, how I'm collaborating with others. And that's our fabulous, amazing guest today. And she is Maya Penn, CEO of Maya's Ideas. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%. 
which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people.